You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. Hello, everyone. I'm Natalie Paskowski, Manager of Marketing Communications. And I'm Lee Clark, Cyber Threat Intelligence Analyst and Writer. And this is the RHISAC Podcast. Lee, thank you for joining me here today. So it's the end of the year. So with this last episode of 2022, we want to take a look at some of the trends, what we're seeing during the 2022 holiday season, as well as what we can expect for 2023. That's right. Later in the episode, I'm going to be talking to Courtney Radke, retail CISO and principal architect at Fortinet, about the trends they're predicting in 2023. But first, I'm going to share some findings from our own report we recently released at the RHISEC, the 2022 holiday season cyber threat trends report. I'm personally really excited about this report. I think it has some really great information for our members. So do you want to kick things off by telling us what this report is and what the goal was in releasing it? Sure. So, I mean, as, as everyone knows, the holiday season for our membership sectors specifically is their busiest time of year in terms of sales and business operations, but also in cyber defenses, right? So we wanted to be able to provide a data-driven examination of what the threat landscape has looked like in recent history and how we can use that to predict what we'll see moving forward. And this report is also unique in that it offers a few different perspectives on holiday threats. So who contributed to this report and why was it important to have multiple viewpoints? Sure. So this report's interesting in a couple of ways. Uh, first, we got a few key subject matter experts from leading member organizations to provide their insights into their current defensive preparations and their current view of their own threat landscapes in their own words. Then we had uh, the RHISEC team examine the threat returns that have been reported by members for the 2020 and 2021 holiday seasons to get a historical and analytical perspective from our own data. And then third, our associate member Flashpoint provided their perspective on the current holiday season landscape based on their research and data. And the reason we wanted those three different viewpoints was to give a holistic approach based on a number of data points, right? So I want to dive into some of that content right now and talk about some of those member perspectives. So what are some of the threats that members are focusing on this holiday season? Sure. So our members report focusing on really well-known, familiar threats that we're all used to countering and dealing with in our in our daily work, right? These include phishing, credential harvesting, ATO and bots, but specifically for the holiday season, more than other seasons, we're looking for gift and loyalty card fraud and also return fraud going to be major points that our members all report focusing on for the current season. So that sounds like something that they'll deal with every year, but were there any notable changes between the threats that we're seeing this year and those from previous years? Yeah, a couple were reported by membership, right? The first and major one is a drastic increase in social engineering attacks, especially in a couple of different categories, right? One being imposter sites, one being phishing attacks, one being executive impersonation, and the last one being MFA, multi-factor authentication bombing, right? None of these are particularly new, but what's notable for the threat landscape this year as reported by our members is a drastic increase in this activity specifically. 
And according to Flashpoint's data, U.S.-based retail entities were one of the most common targets for ransomware attacks as well. So what trends are we seeing around ransomware and malware this holiday season? Sure. So Flashpoint reports a few things for us that are really, really interesting in terms of their view of the retail sector for trends in, in ransomware, right? They typically define this period as between October and January, which lines up for us. And during last year's season, they discovered that there were a total of 20 data leaks originating from ransomware attacks on retail organizations. They found overwhelmingly that Conti and Lockbit made up the largest share of perpetrators for ransomware attacks. And we think that it's likely that this trend of ransomware attack escalation for the holiday period will continue, right? And then so far in 2022, Flashpoint reports that U.S. retail entities are the most targeted industry based on a review of their reporting. Their reporting comes mostly from an examination of advertisements for stolen data and access from illicit threat actor communities, right? And then they also found that the U.S. was consistently one of the most impacted countries by retail-related fraud and ransomware attacks. So finally, one last question for you. What measures should retailers be taking to strengthen their defensive operations this holiday season? Sure. So our members report a few defensive measures that they find particularly helpful, right? One of them is change freezes leading up to the holiday period. Uh, Another is staffing adjustments, whether that's schedule changes or bringing on temps or contractors or um, adjusting incentives for employees to help cover how stressful the holiday season is going to get. Another one is staff training and security awareness. Members specifically reported to help counter return fraud, training customer service staff and recognizing the signs of that type of fraud became really helpful. And then finally, our members reported threat landscape monitoring, CTI tools and vendors, and updating plans and policies to be really vital in their defenses. And become a, a member of RHISEC, too, I'm sure. Sure, sure. So, so more than one member mentioned that they use the data that comes out of RHISEC to help bolster their incoming threat feeds and help them determine where to prioritize threat defense resources, right? All right. Well, Lee, thank you for being here today. We're going to take a quick break to hear a message from our sponsor, Fortinet. Stick around, because after that, Lee and Courtney Radke discuss predictions for 2023. Today's show is brought to you by Fortinet. Fortinet provides retailers with top-rated cybersecurity solutions covering the expanding attack surface. Advantages include centralized visibility and management, lower TCO, and top performance. Proven threat protection and seamless fabric integration delivers better, faster response to attacks across the entire network, including point-of-sale systems and other devices carrying sensitive information. And Fortinet helps simplify compliance with PCI DSS and other regulations. As digital innovation and the need to provide always-on customer experiences drive network transformation, retail cybersecurity has become more vital. It's essential to have a security partner that can provide simplified security and networking to keep customers' data safe and enable a superior consumer experience. For more information, contact the Fortinet team at retail at fortinet.com. Welcome back, everybody. Now that we've heard some of this year's holiday trends, we're going to switch gears and focus on 2023. I'm here with Courtney Radke, Retail CISO and Principal Architect at Fortinet, and he's going to share some of the threat trends they're expecting for the coming year for the broader cybersecurity industry 
as well as some specific threats to the retail community. Courtney, you're no stranger to the podcast nor to our membership, but do you want to give us a quick little introduction of who you are and your role at Fortinet? Yeah, sure. Yeah, thanks for having me today. So I'm I'm Courtney Radke. I'm the I'm the field CISO for retail and hospitality at Fortinet. Really fancy title to say that I head up our technology development, customer and partner advocacy, as well as really cybersecurity evangelism for the for the retail vertical at Fortinet. Beautiful. So in recent years, we've seen the rise of ransomware as a service, lowering the barrier of entry for ransomware attacks. This as a service model is increasing in popularity now for other aspects of cybercrime. What do you think that looks like in 2023? Yeah, you know, we, we, we talk about, you know, less is more when we talk about, you know, critical strategies, talk about consolidating networks and security, you know, in, inside of, you know, what we like to talk about in the retail vertical, but it seems like cyber criminals more is more uh, for them. So we'll probably see more of the same. It's going to be an evolution of not just ransomware as a service, because that's part of it, but really the as a service model in itself, as you said, gaining popularity, is really going to become crime as a service, an evolution into crime as a service, more specifically organized crime as a service. They're going to they're pool resources, pool brain power, pool money, share the list of who they want to attack and really join forces to do so. This is kind of the, you know, the bad guys joining together to, to face the Justice League, if you will, because really why it, it, money in retail? It's it's all about money, very financially driven. And there's bigger payouts than really ever before. It's a very, very big pie and everybody wants a piece. How much of a pie? We, we've seen, you know, the, the Treasury Department announced that there was 600 million paid first half of the year, according to U.S. Treasury. And so that's a big number. It's a record that we don't want to have. And it's honestly on pace to surpass the combined payouts of, of the last year. And there, there's more variance too. So it's not just that it's, you know, it's not just the quality of it and, and quantity. There's, there's more variance. They're getting very sophisticated in the ways they attack. You spoke about it, you know, just, just a moment ago, lower barrier of entry that, that as a service model is absolutely true. So they're using things like subscription services, like apps, GUIs, plug and play, ransomware, the same technologies that we're using to make our lives easier, ordering food through aggregator services and things like that. They're going to be doing the same thing, making it really commodity-based. It's getting to the point where anybody can reasonably get into the cybercrime game. Definitely not endorsing that. Don't do that. That said, we we predict that crime as a service is going to expand significantly into 2023 and beyond. It's easier to start. It's easier to keep going. That subscription model is there. With world events, with, with socioeconomic pressures, more people are going to be pushed into it. So really it's going to be more of the same, but it's going to morph into not just what we hear about as as ransomware as a service or, or, you know, malware as a service. It's really organized cyber crime as a service. Yeah. So speaking of commodification, right, another threat that can be commodified is wiper malware. For the past year, wiper malware is becoming increasingly popular, especially during the war in Ukraine. But its use is not always limited to nation state actors, especially moving forward. How do you think cybercrime groups could also start taking advantage of wiper malwares? Uh, I mean, they already are. We we saw growth of this area, definite growth as as early as you know early 2021. We saw that 
you know, wipers were being added with more prevalence as part of ransomware attacks and campaigns. They're not new. They started popping up around 10 years ago. So wiper malware, for those that don't know, is, is essentially it just deletes everything. It cripples the environment, ups the ante a bit, forces even more emotional responses to what is already an emotional event when you're attacked, you know, as part of cybercrime. As you said, at the war in, uh, in Ukraine is where we, we saw a big jump that was aimed at attacking critical infrastructure, impacting lives but, and livelihood, you know, but more and more critical infrastructure. But it didn't stay there. It never does because it's so useful and they've, they've seen that. So, you know, we saw it detected in 20 plus countries. We'll likely see that become more normal practice in ransomware campaigns. And while it won't always be aimed at critical infrastructure, you know, we'll see it come into the retail vertical. It'll be aimed at livelihood. It'll be aimed at OT networks that have become a target, but they're now part of these retail environments, as well as IoT, critical workloads are, are also at risk. So we saw many variants of this over the last year. I think we saw six or seven new variants in the first six months of 22. And, and that doesn't seem like a lot, but that's close to the total that we've seen since 2012. And so they're starting to wrap this into more of their standard ransomware campaigns. So I, I think we'll see it. I think we'll see it definitely with more prevalence. And, and it's that now destructive nature, team getting nastier as, as part of these campaigns for sure. Right. Another trend in malware, particularly visible in our retail sector, is the use of capture app data functionality to capture sensitive information from online payment forms. As retailers move more and more into multi-cloud and hybrid cloud environments to support their digital needs, what precautions do you think they should be taking in order to not fall victim to these online attacks? Mm, a lot. I, we, we see we see this a lot. It, it can be called a lot of different things, too. Particularly, we see it this time of year as well. You know, as we, a lot of people are shopping, a lot of people are clicking on things. Essentially, you know, malicious code is injected into websites. They, it's scraping, it's skimming data, can be credentials, uh, card numbers, any sensitive information. A lot of times, you know, people think it, it's really a mage cart type attack. There's, there's countless organizations that, that do that. Uh, lots of high profile cases that we've seen of this as well over the last several years because there was kind of a lack of visibility of their environments, lack of segmentation in their environments. So, you think about it, e-commerce is not a closed system. If we look at these web e-commerce sites, these workloads, there are upwards of dozens of integrations with other third parties, fourth parties, fifth parties. So what you've built in-house, your protected first-party code, what you've been so careful to make sure it meets your security needs, that's co-mingling with code, calls, integrations with everybody else and everybody that these organizations partner with. So it's not a closed system. They assume the same permissions, too, because they need access to the, to the same things that your first-party code does. So I would say the precautions is understand the integrations that are in place. What integrations and what calls does your e-commerce websites have to make to do their job? And what is their risk posture? Are you doing an assessment prior to bringing these integrations on or just because that they're you know, industry standard, you assume that they're all good? Have you understood what vulnerabilities exist? Have they been part of attacks in the past and do they meet your security posture? Aside from that, you know, you have, if you have to bring them on, that, you know, you have to do business, but prevent access to things that they don't need. Prevent access by protecting API calls, API calls and integrations with other systems that can be done with things like a, a web application firewall, block and monitor all access attempts. Segment them from other systems. 
why do they have to make calls to everything else if their purpose is singular? So only allow them to make that critical call. Don't have carte blanche access every time. Scrutinize that access just because they had it before doesn't mean they need it now. And I really think the biggest thing is don't just do it in one part of your environment. If you're multi-cloud, hybrid cloud, you have multiple e-commerce web front ends. It has to be across all of it and it has to be end to end. We need to start getting into this, this visibility and segmentation space inside of our cloud environments because this is going to become more prevalent as well. All right. So in addition, retailers are also adopting increasingly sophisticated and interconnected technologies within their brick and mortar stores. What trends are y'all seeing in that area and what should retailers be cautious of when securing this technology? Well, to say that the digital has made its way into the physical is an understatement. You know, I think we've even created terms around it. Digital, you know, we, we like to call it the, the marriage of physical and digital. The point being, we're, we're seeing a much greater adoption of digital technology being brought into the physical space. If you think about it, we as consumers have gotten so used to ease personalization, frictionless experiences. We we have our phones in our hands at all times, and it's it makes everything so easy from a shopping experience. We want that brought into the physical stores. The industry, the customers are demanding it. What that means is more technology brought into these brick-and-mortar stores. They have to gather more information via more touch points. That's the mobile app. That's kiosks, IoT sensors, the POS itself, the e-commerce feeding back into the store. This data flows to and through brick and mortar. Normally, it doesn't reside inside of the brick and mortar. Normally, that data goes into the cloud, but it's used to enrich the experience in the store. So that's more data than ever before. And as we kind of talked about earlier, the data is where the money's at. So as we look at it, it, it's easy to pick on something like IoT. That definitely continues to expand the attack surface. Everything is connected. It's either reaching out, hopefully nothing's reaching in, that's a no-no, or it's reaching across the network. So we we really shouldn't be surprised, but, you know, there's not a lot of segmentation out there, let alone micro-segmentation, meaning down to the actual purpose of the connection. What does this app, what does it actually need to be looking at, let alone where it's on the network? That needs to be much higher prevalence. Oftentimes, these, these IoT devices are put on the same network as a POS or, you know, wireless access points providing guest wireless. So they're, they're intermingling. It's too common and it's too uncommon to see segmentation and micro segmentation. So as these, you know, devices are brought on a network and they bring their own baggage, they don't have innate security. Oftentimes they can't support an agent because there's really no OS on them. We need to be looking at segmentation and micro segmentation. And then we look at OT, you know, operational technology. That's becoming more commonplace in retail. If we think about, you know, robotics used for picking and handling of products, we look at cutting into the distribution and logistics of, of retail locations. That's becoming more commonplace. And these had even more obscure security controls. They were traditionally air gap. They've never seen the light of day. And so now we need to account for this with not only segmentation and micro-segmentation, but we need to really gain visibility around what these OT networks, uh, you know, what what their risks are. So I think definitely we're going to see, fidget, you know, the fidgetal revolution, if you will, uh, the digital coming into the physical space. It's not going to stop. We as consumers want more of it. But as retailers need to be aware, this brings with it its own set of risks. Perfect. And finally, what would one piece of advice be that you have for retail and hospitality CISOs moving into 2023? I, I can't just have one. I really have to have two because the first and, and last and, and everything in between, it always starts with training and awareness. It has to start with 
gaining that awareness of what threats you're facing and aligning your training strategy to that. We need to humanize cybersecurity. We need to ensure that everybody's part of it, that they know their part, is more aware of the risks that exist. What are the risks of, of a click? What are the risks of who's going after my C-level, but also trying to attack my, my frontline employees? Really turn people into the first line of defense instead of what we often attribute them to is the weakest link. But I think the one, you know, one piece of advice as we talk about this, it, this has really all been about what we've talked about today is, is the intermingling, the commingling of networks and, you know, the traversal, how it, how it's a huge ecosystem, you know, that everything's at risk. Help them help themselves by, by moving more into a zero trust approach. We're literally subscribing to a framework that promotes zero trust methodologies. And I know zero trust is one of those buzzy things like AI and everything else out there, but I know it gets thrown around a lot. Um, but as we see more threats traversing the networks unchecked, as we kind of just talked about, going from branch to cloud, from the home to their operational technology to their data centers, this is absolutely something that needs to occur. Moving into, you know, that zero trust approach, gaining visibility across your attack surface. Where are they trying to attack me from? Understanding what you need to protect and why. And, and really just aligning that, you know, the understanding of, of where I'm being attacked, the why, and then align that to the identity, the access and enforcement. That moves you to a more zero-trust focused architecture. That's definitely a journey. It can't happen overnight, but but we need to start somewhere. And as we see these threats continuing to evolve, continuing to move more quickly and continue to traverse networks from east-west more than ever before, it's definitely something that needs to happen. So training understand, you know, that it, security is everybody's responsibility. And then two, we need to move into this more zero trust methodology. Don't just assume the, that, you know, permission should be granted because you had it last time. It's really the principle of act accordingly as if you are already in a breach. And then what would you do from there? You'd limit access and, and, and have more scrutinization. I think that's where we need to be going to. All right, perfect. Courtney, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today on the RHI SAC podcast, and thank you for those insights for our members. Thanks, Lee. Thank you for having me. Thank you to the RHI SAC uh, again for, you know, spreading the good word around cybersecurity awareness in this industry. I think it's, it's absolutely necessary, and hopefully together we can, we can get that word out there. So appreciate you again, and uh, looking forward to joining you guys next time. All right. Thank you to Lee and Courtney for joining us today. You can find a link to the Holiday Trends Report in the episode description if you'd like to learn more about what we talked about here today. We're going to be taking a bit of a break for the holidays, but be on the lookout for our next episode in mid-January, where we'll be sharing some of the findings from the 2022 CISO and Practitioner Benchmark Survey.